0: Behind the baller My life is more than money and and My story so crazy dog I said make a movie behind the baller I went from playing sports to exotic whips you gotta tell me dog I know I'm the scene behind the baller My life is more than money and journey My story so crazy dog I said make a movie behind the baller I went from music exec to this podcast Now I finally feel at home and loud Behind the baller Yo, what up everybody? You were listening to Behind the Baller this is episode 89, brand new episode, I am your host, my name is Ben Baller, not Ben Humble, definitely not fuckboy Ben Shapiro, some people call me the Korean James Spader, but you can call me the gangster of love. Yo, what up y'all, how you guys doing man, this is gonna be a random runaround episode we're gonna be talking about all kinds of random ass shit i have been very very busy we have we have a special guest today by the way we got my boy matt belinsky who's an attorney he's just a real outspoken savvy articulate dude um he's he's super well versed he can talk fucking forever about all kinds of shit and uh he pisses people off but uh we'll get into that later right now i do have to tell you guys something um, I had a discussion this week with the Dust Brothers and look, man, there's part of me that wants to retire from everything and only podcast, right? That'd be a dream, be a father and podcast. You know, you got people like Joe Rogan, obviously killing it. Um, even someone like Joe Budden is doing well. Obviously, Mike Robport does very well off of it. Um, he does other things as well. He's an actor and he's also a stand-up comedian and he's good too. But, um, like, when I'm done, I'm done. And that's all I want to do is podcast and talk shit and really share even just some of the deepest, craziest stories. And, and we're going to get into some shit later um, about uh, my upbringing and why I maybe should see a therapist. And I've I've gone to therapy before, and I've seen a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Uh, I still don't know the difference exactly, but that's not the point. We'll get into that in a second. But what I'm getting into is um, I had a deep discussion with... Um, miles and jordan you know and this podcasting remember this is professional podcasting you have to be built for this shit. you know a lot of people have podcasts a lot of people you know they start them and then um even popular podcasts you know you hear the murder doc ones you hear about even gossip whatever you know they have a premise they have a base you know they have a format and there is somewhat of a format you know we do an intro um we have an outro On the weekends, I have fan questions every other week. We have jackass of the week. You know, I have interviews. I've been doing a lot of solo on that ass lately because the phone situation or like, I don't really use Zencaster. And I don't know, it's just kind of tough. You know, it's different when I'm in front of somebody and they feel the energy. And hopefully that comes back soon. But uh, we'll talk about COVID in a second. So it looks like it might not, but people don't give a fuck. I don't know. Um, But going back, you know, I've ran 89 episodes now, straight up. The only time i missed one episode was because of christmas and i had to like i just had a lot of shit going on i was out of town I was with my family i didn't want to like you know I, I just was i was overwhelmed with with that with family and everything this is obviously before um had hit and um now man i've gotten to the point where things are starting to open back up i'm working beverly center has opened back up Um, My store is open from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. now. My factory is open, you know, from 6 a.m. to, you know, 10 p.m. I go there as much as I can. There's been so many protests. It's difficult to get to work. Plus, on top of that, I I don't don't want no sympathy from anybody. Um, It's difficult for me to leave the house now. Uh, Not because I don't want to leave the house because of my kids or anything. I'm talking about as soon as I get on the freeway somewhere, I have somebody recording me and everything else, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I haven't posted the last couple cars that I've got because um, I don't want to be noticed. And even though the cars aren't the most regular cars, to me they are. But you know, to other people they're like, nah. And that may sound pretentious, but you know, fuck that. I work for it, so fuck you. You know, it wasn't like I came from a rich family, but you know, anywhere I stop, gas station, hey, aren't you that guy? I mean, it, to everything, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's um, how do I say? It could be a gift, you know, but at the same time, like, nah man, I you know, I want my privacy back. <laughs> and I never ever thought I'd say that. Um, so with with going back to work on jewelry, finishing these J. Balvin Murakami pieces, figuring out, okay, when am I actually gonna get on a plane to Asia or when am me and Murakami gonna continue this collaboration? I got some things for Cuddy I gotta get going on. You know, Lil Uzi, who um there's this dude, um Y-R-N, Y-B-N, or A, I forgot what the fuck his name is, something, Osiris, I don't really follow these rappers, and he's talking about, he wants to box everybody, and blah, blah, and the thing, I've seen this dude fighting, I mean, I mean look, man, you could have heart, and you could be okay, and you could take punches, but I mean, bro, you're getting whooped up by people left and right, and he wants to fight Uzi, and Uzi's like, Uzi's five, six maybe five five maybe five five four I don't know, small dude, you know, but he's, he's tough, Uzi's tough as a motherfucker. Uzi's become an enormously popular rapper um he's jumped into a different level of fame now you know he's he's super famous and everything and he hit me up this past week and he's like hey man I'm in town for a little while uh don't know when I'm going back but yeah I want to link up with you um I did a repair for him and uh you know there was like a small little balance he's been trying to pay me and I just don't have the time and now mind you you know four years ago when I first connected with him you know he flew me out to Atlanta I would go meet him in Philly we would go hang out in New York and whatever and you know, not that I would jump to somebody. It could be Cuddy. It could be anybody. I just don't have the time. Drake could hit me up. I just don't have the time. And this is my main profession. Supposedly, you know, me being a jeweler is my main profession. But because of cannabis, Ben Baldi, the strain hasn't officially launched because I need to get out there and do it. I don't want them to just soft launch it. I want to launch it and be there. The TOPS Project 2020 has taken and consumed a lot of my time. So with that said, you know, Uzi sent me two days in a row. like, yo, man, why don't you pull up to my hotel? Uh, let's get this, you know, going and whatever. And, you know, I reach out once and like, you know, people are busy. They don't read messages and anything. After that, I'm like, I'm good. I'm not tripping. But now you get 99.9% of the other jewelers. They're going to run to Uzi. They're going to go to his hotel. They're going to wait outside there. They're going to go follow him around, want to hang out. bro. I ain't got that kind of time. And I don't give a fuck. That's my boy. But still, it's it's not that deep. I know Cuddy had just finished this. Uh, he, he has a, a rough cut of his documentary for Man on the Moon, and I know I'm in it, and he wants me to see it. Now I, I gotta get over there and see it, because I do wanna see it, and that's my guy. Like, uh, I fuck with Cuddy more than I fuck with them on jewelry, but we make some dope shit together. But what I'm trying to get into is, I have a lot going on, obviously. I'm designing cards, I have other deals that I got going on. I have to start um, the NFL Snickers chain. I have to finish J Balvin's chain, then after that I have two other artists, one enormous like 30, 40 million follower fucking reggaeton dude, I got another big, you know, musician I gotta fucking get pieces made for, I got to figure out summer, you know, what are we gonna do, there's some small little modifications I'm doing to my home, Um, I got the cannabis shit going on, so I don't know how how to do all this, and then, you know, when I talk about podcasting, I don't really get too much into jewelry or anything else, but what I mean is, you know, I try to keep it somewhat to the current events. I don't just get directly into it and start talking like Wendy Williams or some shit. It's a different type of show, you know, what Behind the Baller is. So I am giving you this long explanation to tell you that I might need (laughs) an episode off uh, before we launch episode 100. I think I might take one off just because I might need to go into, you know, the woods. And that just sounds crazy even say that. Jump into an RV, get into a, take my family to a cabin and decompress for five days and then come back and still make it for an episode. So like after I record one, boom, I'm like, I'm going to miss whether Thursdays, maybe I'm going to miss Mondays. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to miss one episode. I'm pre-warning you guys now that I need to get my head right. And I might have to take an episode off because I am really on empty. I'm not burning You know the candle at both sides. I'm burning that motherfucker at six different edges. It's gone crazy. Uh, With that said, listen, man, you guys, again, this is professional podcasting. My man Miles is a fucking wizard. He is a genius. He is a fucking scientist. And I'll tell you why a little bit later. But what I need to get into right now is COVID-19 is starting to fuck around and jump back up and... People are still on that. Ah, you know, whatever doesn't affect me, I don't believe it. And you know, just because it don't affect you, don't mean it don't exist. You know, I'm up to what 51 people that I know who've had it or have had antibodies. Right? I'm up to you know three people dead, but only 12 of those people, besides the deaths, got really, really sick. So you know, 48 people, 49 people didn't get so bad, and then like. 20 of them didn't get anything. They didn't even fucking know they had it. That doesn't mean shit because, again, you can start fucking people up. Now, the CDC, the WHO, World Health Organization, they're all fucked up. These motherfuckers are basically crazy. They're telling you 3 plus 1 equals 4, and they're like, well, it's actually 4.0009. Okay? Well, no, you know what? We're sorry. It equals 4. Well, actually, you know what? It equals 4.001. But Motherfucker, what? Okay, is it, you know, contagious from someone who's asymptomatic or is it not, motherfucker? Is it contagious from motherfucker sneezing? Yes, it is. Fuck you. All right? The cloth masks, I know people are wearing them because it's a requirement. But again, man, you know, if you can fucking fart, right? And obviously a girl wearing tight jeans, imagine she farts. That fart is going to go through those tight jeans and you're going to smell that flatulence. Okay. So if it goes through that, what the fuck makes you think that a level four virus ain't going through a fucking cloth mask? And there's filters here and there. I'm just letting you know, shit is not a joke. There's outbreaks now, again, in some places, higher than it was ever in the last few months. The highest, you know, Arizona's having a fucking crazy ass fucking, you know, uh, outbreak. Uh, Sacramento is rising heavy. Texas has got hospital beds filling up. Florida is fucking around getting big in the crazy part with Texas and Florida Texas ain't shut down They're like fuck this oh well it is what it is Florida they're about to open their gyms this weekend like all right man God bless you guys you know restaurants over here are starting to open up like for real like Javier is one of my favorite restaurants ever nothing can fuck with that Crystal Cove vibe Crystal Cove is in Newport Beach it is like the Bel Air of Newport Beach it's where um, Newport Coast it's where uh, Kobe Bryant lived and uh, they got a Javier's there, and they have a Master's Ocean Club, and it's just you know something about the vibes there and the food. It ain't the super authentic, but it's Mexican, legit Mexican, high-end five-star cuisine. It's dope. I have, always have a lot of memories when I think of that place. The vibes are just good. It, you know, a lot of fucking racist Trump people. I don't give a fuck. But you know, you go out there and you—it's a dope place to to take a nice whip and go either on a Sunday afternoon or on a Tuesday night. It's just always popping. And Javier's is open back up. They got one in Century City. One of my homegirls, Queen P.E.E., Pilar, she's a really pretty girl, uh, entrepreneur. I should have her on the podcast. I wonder. She's funny as fuck. And she's just cool. You know, she's just a hustler. She does her thing. And she invited me to her birthday party this weekend at fucking Javier's. And I was like, yo, hold on. What? Like, you tripping? Are you serious? And she's like, yeah, no, just pull up. And I'm like, all right, cool, you know, but I'm like, nah, I ain't pulling up, you fucking tripping. Um, Also, uh, Las Vegas, my boys run the win. EBC just announced that they're going ahead and opening up. So I'm like, I I don't know, man, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, there ain't gonna be no old motherfuckers there, but, you know, I'm skeptical. Um, I want to go to Vegas and hang out and chill. I just, you know, I just, I got to see. And um, I asked my boy, I was like, yo, you guys gonna wear masks? And he's like, nah, man, just the employees are gonna wear masks. So I don't know how the fuck this is going to happen because, again, in a few weeks, we're going to see how bad this shit gets and what's going on. And, yeah, it's been really hot. It's fucking 94 degrees in L.A. Um, today. Um, yesterday, it was fucking like 91, 92. It was hot as a motherfucker. In the hills, it'd be hot as a bitch. But a um, uh, side note, if you don't have Citizen app, I mean, every single person that I fucking know has just signed on in the last week. And I've had it since like maybe January or something, but everyone is signing on. It's crazy because you type in your zip code and it shows everything that's fucking going on. It's like fucking Instagram, but for any kind of uh, police call, any disruption in your neighborhood that would involve the fire department or the police, you get a notification. It's fucking crazy. My wife is addicted to it. It is way better than Nextdoor app. Nextdoor app is a little bit more true friendly. This is just crazy, but Citizen app is nuts. Um, so we will see about this COVID situation. I am going to discuss that with Matt Belinsky. He kind of knows um, just from his, he's like me, but he has some knowledge about it. Um, what else? Oh yeah, check it out. My gold vacuum sealers just got in. I got them yesterday. I will send out the to the winners. There was four winners on this show. Uh, two of them, I believe, were somewhat local. One is in the Midwest somewhere and the other dude's in Tokyo. That's that Dave, uh bait from Dave dude. I'm going to... um. Send those out as soon as I can. I've been shipping out shit. So uh, real quick, let's get into the hobby now instead of later. Uh, My Cal Ripken card is available right now. As you are listening to this podcast, if you are listening to it in real time, there is less than 22 hours for you to get this card, okay? There is less than 22 hours for you to get this card. This Cal Ripken card has meant a lot to me. A lot of these are the cards I've put a lot of effort in. And some of them, like the HRL, I didn't put too much effort in, but I had, you know, I had my design. Now I'm starting to notice every artist is coming with it. Every artist that is in this project 2020 is starting to get gangster with it. My man, Mr. Cartoon, has joined the party for autographs. I don't know anybody on the earth who has a better hand style, who understands. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest tattoo artists on earth, one of the biggest, not just my mentor, but this dude specializes in lettering. His hands are insured for two, three million dollars, obviously because his hands, you know, are, are they're built to, you know, to fucking make his money. That's how, Those are his earners. And when I think about him signing autographs, I'm like, all right, now I gotta have him sign some shit. He's done so many different things. I've had cartoons sign posters for me, dollar bills, all kinds of shit. But anyways, he's joined the party for the autographing thing. Um, we'll get into that in a second. But uh, my Cal Repkin card, the reason why it's so special is that I had designed a beautiful card, you know, um, I don't know if it was at that Dwight Gooden level, but, uh, you know, blue skies, uh, Goodyear blimp in the sky. I had like, um, you know, grass looked like it was iced out. I had colors. The fuck did I do? I had diamond letters, different diamond letters, a lot more colors. It was really bright and it was, and it was cool. It was, I, I'd say it was, uh, you know, it, it, I, I liked it, like, about as much as my Mike Trout. Maybe maybe a little less. It was cool. But then George Floyd had died, and he was murdered, and a lot of shit had happened, and the Black Lives Matters protests, and all the stuff that's going on, the riots, and I was like, man, I, you know, I had asked Tops, could I change my car to Jackie Robinson so it made sense, you know, because all the fucking adversity and shit and everything. this crazy racism and, you know, social racial injustice that had happened with Jackie Robinson and what he, you know, he overcame. Um, they're like, nah, man, we had that for, you know, King Saladin is releasing it soon. So, you know, you can't, and I was like, you know what, dog, it's, it's all good. Cool. What I'm going to do is I'm going to black this whole entire motherfucking card out. In fact, we had to get permission to fucking make the Jersey black because it was altering the Jersey. MLB is very strict. And, um, I pretty much blacked out that entire Cal Ripken card as much as I could, you know. I threw in the ACDC font, you know, because back in black, and it was just rock and roll. It's that era 82, you know. It was, it was. It makes sense for Cal Ripken Jr., and um, when I looked at the final, you know, card, I was like, wow, I fucking love this card, and it's going to really remind me. Like I said, it's going to forever remind me of what was going on at that time when I dropped this card, so it's a very important card. I tell people again, you know, if you buy a 10-pack, it's like 14, 15 bucks um per card if you buy one card it's 20 bucks um i hope the card does well you know uh you got someone like Keith Shore who sold 99,000 cards with his Griffey and it was coming off a weekend where i was promoting heavy i was going hard in the motherfucking paint for a Dwight Gooden card the hobby was moving crazy people were buying crazy cards and then you go and see he had a um a card that just ended this weekend and um the final print run was ten thousand eight hundred, and that's an enormous difference like we're talking ridiculous difference right and there's been kind of a correction like i said in the hobby with everything else uh the blake card did very well i collab with them on that i don't think i'll be collabing with anybody else i'm gonna be focusing on my shit. and um with that said you know this ripkin card i want to do well because the better it does the more i can give you know i've been doing a lot of donating and a lot of charity work and things like that, and it's great because it's for a great cause. And um, by the way, my error card, uh, the Trout error card, that uh, I put fuck on and everything else, actually happened to be, it was won by one of my friends, mutual friends. So um, it was actually won by somebody locally who is a professional poker player, and uh, you know, the auction ended at 10,300, or I forgot what it was, somewhere around there. And the great thing about it was, Half of the money went to 100 black men of Atlanta. You should look up that charity. It is amazing. They enrich young black men in Atlanta, you know, extracurricular outside of school to build them, mold them and groom them to fucking amazing people. And then, um, after fees and stuff and fees were fucking expensive, might've been like 600, 700 bucks or whatever. And then PayPal fees and everything. Then the rest, I was like, yeah, man, just throw that shit to the bailout fund, which I'll be doing in the next, uh, two, uh, 14 days when everything clears. But, um, Yeah, go get that Kyle Ripken card. It is something special. That is a special moment of this project. And uh, so next week, just want to give you guys a heads up. Next week, I will be selling my Ricky Henderson autograph cards, okay? We are not doing any more PayPal, no more emails, none of that shit. I have a website. We have a Shopify account. It is a full-blown thing. It is going to be basic, straight to the point. You will be able to purchase the one of five, Ricky Henderson autograph cards in gold ink which I provide the cards okay and then you will be able to purchase an autograph the 1 of 50 autograph in silver or whatever random team color that I'd use for, for Ricky Henderson and um this will be the card that you have to provide meaning you have to own a Ricky Henderson in order to get an autograph of the 1 of 50 it will be the last time you have to do this i know it's a pain in the ass to ship them to me trust me we're not doing this shit anymore Right. The next card that we get is obviously Dwight. From there on, boom, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm rock and roll. Like There's no more fucking having to worry about that shit. I'm providing everything. The one of five cards, I got you. Those are being sold on the site. I provide that. The one in 50, you're going to have to send them to me. I'm going to sign them. That's going to be it. Obviously, number 24 is going to be a special card because that's Ricky's number. And then number 42 is my number. So number 42 will always be a special card in every one of these sets. As I'd mentioned on the previous podcast... There will be no more than 50 cards that are autographed BBDTC ever again, period, point blank. We're going to make this rare. Um, I do have a pop-up. That's going to happen in LA. I will talk about that another time um, because that's not going to happen now. Prepping for my Jeter card. This should be my biggest card. If it is not, then it is going to be Griffey. This is going to be an enormous thing. I have Mr. Derek Jeter who is involved in helping me with promoting this card. I am giving away a $15,000 Derek Jeter 2 chain, you know, and um, it is Cartier level quality, it will be randomly sent just like the 101 card, and uh, this is just, it's fucking crazy, like I'm really excited about where this is going, and um, yo man, let's get into this interview with Matt Belinsky, like I said he's an attorney. Very smart, savvy dude. Knows a lot about startups and things like that. And the good thing about this is that this is a business podcast, technically. So I want you guys to give my boy Matt Belinsky some love. This is the only thing I want to warn you guys right now. My internet has been fucked up for the last 72 hours. So please forgive me. We do a digital call. You know what I mean? We do a digital phone call. And some of it's fucked up. Miles did as much surgery as he could But I apologize I know this is professional podcasting We're in hi-fi stereo When I record Different when we're doing a phone call But this Matt Belinsky story uh, Interview is good So that's coming up right now Miles Speaking of Miles I want to say hi to Jordan too Jordan you fuck Um, Could you hit me off with some of that LL And you know I'm not talking about LL Cool J I'm talking about that funky white boy from Arizona At Lakey Inspire Uh, We'll be right back with the interview guys Huge thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. If you or your friends have a podcast and are looking to explore sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast, sign up at podcorn.com forward slash podcasters. My own personal experience using Podcorn has been great, really friendly hardworking people who have connected behind the baller with many of the sponsorships that you've heard on this show. Best part is that unlike some other advertisers, they get you paid fast. Great communication, great tech, and lightning fast turnaround for payment. Podcorn is sponsoring this episode, but I've recommended them to my friends who have podcasts, and now I'm recommending them to you. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. Click the link in my show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Check out podcorn.com forward slash podcasters. Thanks to our friends at Podcorn who love bringing BTB sponsorships so much that they want to become a sponsor as well. Big things coming for popcorn and behind the baller. Yo what up y'all? You are tuned in to Behind the Baller, another episode. We have a special guest. He goes by the name Matt Belinsky. I assume that is his government name. Um he's going to tell you why <laughs> he's that, here. That is the official name. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, listen, do me a favor. First of all, man, thank you for coming on the show. I know you're very outspoken. Do me a favor. Please tell the good listeners, the people, what it is that you exactly do and why you wow feathers up so well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and the last part of that could be a few different things, but let's see. Um, I'm an attorney in Los Angeles, um, represent mostly companies in, you know, in the digital sphere, startup world. But that means stuff like digital media, e-com, consumer internet software, um, but other business, high growth businesses. Um, also, kind of you know play a couple, wear a couple of different hats in the startup world, non-legal advising, investing, and whatnot um and then i also you know at least out of covid recently kind of put together a bit of a makeshift news operation commenting on you know the issues of the day um and it was kind of called bnn kind of just friends of mine just kind of came up with that as a bit of a uh, tongue-in-cheek take on cnn um but i've been doing some videos and some content just trying to you know have discussions around the relevant topics of the day and um i don't know man you know in terms of why I rile people up could be something in the bloodline um, I don't know. I think uh and I guess if I had to boil it down, and, and I know how this sometimes comes off, but I think most people are dominated by groupthink and confirmation bias. Um, and I'd like to believe that I at least try not to be. And so when you kind of comment on that and blast through that, that you know seems to uh to spark some some reactions and emotions on the other side.
0: You know what's funny is um if you didn't know, you know I've, I've been talking about coronavirus on my show since February, and uh, at one point, because I, I challenged the CDC and I challenged the um, the Surgeon General publicly, when I ended up being right, and it's not even about being right or wrong, but it was just about just being aware, you know, and giving people awareness and, and alerting people, you know, that it's out there, and, and hey, man, you know, take it as you want, whether you believe it exists or not, just know, don't go out there and be like, yo, man you know, I think I want to, I want to be a boxer. And then you get your ass beat in the gym one day, you'd be like, yo, man, what the fuck, bro? Like, I don't fuck, I don't want fuck with boxing. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? You was going to go out there and like, you know, I mean, anyways, going on with that said, at one point behind the baller was trending in the COVID space. We were the only non-virologist, epidemiologist, not doctor. How about this? Not even a fucking research person was not, we were the only one. So people were kind of like, you know, uh, like University of Nevada, Or Las Vegas, UNLV, uh, their department of uh, infectious diseases is very high. Like they're legit; they're very reputable. They had kind of been like, "What the fuck is this jeweler dude?" You know what I mean? Why is he trending? And you know, because Apple has you know over a million podcasts now, right? And there's got to be. And I had one of the first people who got infected. Happened to be a friend of mine. He was on the show, so I had a lot of knowledge, not like in-depth science, you know what I mean? But I had obviously, you know, like real shit that was going on, and the information I said was coming out right. So. I gave it a rest for weeks now. And it's funny because we were trying to do this for weeks with me and you. But actually, this falls into play even better now because I just saw a report. And look, man, I'm not left. I'm not blue. I'm not red. I'm not motherfucking right. I'm not wing. I'm I'm none of that shit. You know what I mean? I'm just, I am who I am. But the thing is, I don't fuck with Trump want. But the crazy part is, you know, Texas is a red state. I just saw on the news today, they have their highest amount of cases. And I know, look, at, I get it. They're testing more people. But the, the issue is, out of their 69,000 infections, 29% of those infections have happened in the last two weeks. And, you know, they're filling beds up, you know, in, in Texas. And uh, look, man, I'm not, I'm not out here to tell people not to protest. I said, I said, man, you know, it's a big cause. You know, I get it. And people are out and they're angry and, and tensions are high. And I understand, you know, but... This shit is out there. A lot of people, like, they make jokes. Oh, so just like that, coronavirus is gone? And I'm like, nah, bro. Like, what are your thoughts about these people? Even, like, celebrities, whoever the fuck it is with a big platform with over 100,000 followers saying, oh, man, that shit's a joke. Like, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, hey, we're we're, me and you are a couple of straight shooters, right? So, I mean, I'm going to – it's a needle to thread, obviously, because who's going to sit here and deny that there's a very powerful emotion and powerful force towards – organizing, protesting and doing that right now. And that, you know, I'm, I'm, I would be a fool to sit here and deny that there's legitimacy to it or that, you know, simply society's not going to move with some of that powerful energy. On the other hand, there is a true and just unavoidable, if you're trying to look at things clearly, contrast and, you know, conflict between, all right, three weeks ago, you've got officials and you've got, you know, a certain piece of the elite that are very, you know, very aggressively saying, Hey, this is dangerous. We've got to stay at home. These lockdowns make sense. Um, we've got to put public health first and, and are coming with one message and then are coming with a completely different message a couple of weeks later. And you just can't, you know, I, I know that a lot of people right now want to sidestep some of these issues, but there just is a logical conflict between those two things. Um, and so, you know, you, you've got to obviously you start, you know, unpacking that and, and looking at it from a few different angles and judging. And as what I think is a place that me and you are both resided is, listen, we're about judging the, the risks and the benefits and the costs and the benefits. And so you got to do that here. And I think, you know, anyone who is being responsible is saying, like listen, guys, if you know, if you do feel powerful enough about this to go and protest and go, you know, be in a high density situation, I mean, be aware of the risks that you're taking and to the extent that you can take precautions, take precautions. But let's be honest. I mean, it's hard to take precautions in those those types of situations. Part of the whole idea of these protests and rallies is a bit of a boisterous energy. Um, So, you know, the the kind of calm, more distant. Okay, let's let's. Maintain social distancing. Let's wear masks. Let's take these precautions. It kind of has an, a bit of a, an inherent conflict with that, so um, it's it's very difficult. And you know, it's going to be something that every so, every person with a platform has to has to measure on you know within their own judgment based on the costs and benefits.
0: I mean, but you got to understand though, it's when you're talking about sixty thousand people in Hollywood. There's no such thing as fucking social distancing. You know, you could be screaming through masks. You know, 80% of these people don't have any kind of a filter in their mask, literally wearing cloth. And, you know, I know memes are funny and you see these memes are like, you think if you could smell a fart through a girl's tight jeans, what the fuck you think that cloth mask is going to do to a fucking level four <laughs> virus? You know, and I'm being serious. Yeah, level four virus is going to go right through <laughs> yeah, that fucking gone. mask. So, you know, I'm just saying, what? how do you feel about people saying that the virus is just is just gone?
1: <laughs> I think it's much like people saying that the virus was... Um, was non existent in the first place. I mean, I think it's nonsense and because it it requires ignoring very obvious evidence. And while I think that we can say it's that difficult place to reside where you can acknowledge that some of the projections and concerns may have been overwrought. It it didn't end up being as bad in a lot of regards as certain people suggested and not just certain people, certain credible people. Yet, it's still a risk and still a thing
0: but that was good though you know what i mean that, that was a good thing that that it was it was less than what they expected you know that's actually i mean you know I mean,
1: absolutely but, but look at it when everyone when you're in an environment where everyone is just trying to be right and just trying to take their facts to batter the other uh, the people on the other side over the head look what that creates where you've got whoever's going to be looking for nobody's looking for that space that i just described that me and you seem to occupy right Every, Everyone's looking for the space of either one, this is a major risk, and everyone's gotta essentially, you know, deprioritize all their other desires in life to make sure we protect against this, or they're gonna look for the evidence that this was maybe not a hoax, but a hoax adjacent. Something that was just a complete mistake and completely exaggerated. And everyone's just looking, and that that doesn't lead to good decision making. That doesn't lead to good judgment, doesn't lead to being smart. Um, It just leads to finding ways to go and, you know, send your, send memes or send a a screenshot to your buddy uh, or, you know, post on social media and go try to own the other side. And that, you know, I think we see, look look at the ratio. What's the ratio of that type of communication versus people looking for a sensible truth? I mean, the ratio is not good.
0: For sure. And look, I'm not even going to begin. We're not going to discuss in this episode, but a lot of the people that believe that this virus is a hoax or they're the pandemic people, those are all the same people that are anti-vaxxers, which is fucking crazy as fuck, right? And it's just like, yo, man. And some people are like, you know, Ben, man, you're successful. You know, you would do what Korea's doing. And I'm like, man, if it's going to save my son's life, who's at high risk and he has a very slight chance of living if he were to get it because he has a severe respiratory illness and he's had it all his life and it's it's crippled him almost. Fuck yeah, I'm going to listen to what the fuck the government said. And they're like, man, I can't believe you would do that. I'm like, listen, man, you guys don't get it. Like there's certain freedoms that like, you know, like it's, it, of course it doesn't affect you, do you know? So you don't think it exists just like racism, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Personal. Nothing's more powerful than personal experience, right? And that's one of the mind fucks about the corona, about a virus in particular, is because it's something that's exponential in nature. Where it gets bad, it gets really bad. And where it doesn't get bad, it doesn't really, it, it, you don't really see much impact. Right? Like how many people, even at this point, were, you know, fuck, almost four months into when things started heating up in Italy, and a lot of people still haven't been able to explain why it got so crazy in Northern Italy, and then fucking Rome barely gets touched. So it's like, if you're gonna go into lockdown, if it hasn't spread in certain territories, whoever's in those territories is gonna look at the situation and think, ah, this is kind of bullshit. Yeah. But then you have to look at the places that it did spread and you can't ignore those, right? You can't just look at Rome. You can't just look at a variety of, you know, California, for instance, that ne- never got nearly as bad as you were, as, that most people are anticipating. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to look at the totality of the evidence, you see that in certain situations where there was an outbreak, it, it got it just the divergence between how bad it gets in those spots versus everywhere else – it just speaks to the, the nature of the situation, but then you have too many people who, because their personal experience was not in the hot zones and in the outbreaks, want to just ignore those and want to say, you know, something it didn't affect me. How many people do you know? It was like motherfucker, like I don't know that many people, but like I'm not going to just ignore that the that dozen crazy hotspots that are just absolute freaking war zones around the world right now. Like that's the thing. Not everyone's in a conspiracy to somehow fabricate that these places have people, you know not able to get their fucking appendix out after their bursts because there's people, they don't have enough doctors because everyone's in there for COVID. This is not, a, this. no one's imagining this.
0: No, of course. You know, look at, man, I have friends who are pretty logical and they're not in conspiracies or anything. And then I kind of see them and they're like, look, man, look, dude, there's, there's really a lot of people dying from the flu. And I'm like, let me explain something to you real quick. The first sure sign, especially early on when testing wasn't really available, you ain't even getting a COVID test if you have the flu understand that when I had my boy who got infected and ended up killing his grandmother you know she ended up dying because of it you know and this is a good friend of mine the surefire sign was he didn't have any symptoms but he felt kind of sick you know like and they kept asking him questions he's on the phone with the CDC and then they said have you been tested for the flu and he said yes and she goes what happened he goes I tested negative right then and there she transferred him to the emergency line boom And that's when they knew, they said, you know, they said, oh, you know what, this this guy has a good chance of having it. That was just because everything he was saying. And a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, they're getting $1,900 or $5,000 extra for every person that says has COVID, you know, insurance companies, the hospitals, blah, 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 whatever. And I'm telling my boy, I'm like, bro, if it was the fucking flu and they tested positive for the flu, they're not going in that room. Do you know what I mean? It's two different things. It's like, I can't explain to you, like, you're not going to service BMWs in a Benz dealership. And he was like, wait a second, what do you mean? And I'm like, forget it, dog. You're just not listening to me right now. If that person had the flu and they died of the flu, that autopsy is not going to say COVID because it's two different things. You know what I'm saying? That was the whole purpose. And he's just, you know, and this is a person, again, who's not, it's just, but again- And that's
1: particularly with what you just mentioned about the, you know, potential inflation due to, you know, incentives for Medicare reimbursements. That's a really good example of where people get off the reservation in terms of- Thinking about conspiracy theories in general, right? Yeah. In that you see something that might be kind of shady. Like, sure, is there possibly some degree of inflation due to some of the, the perverse incentives of the the Medicare reimbursement? Sure. But mm-hmm. people then take that and then just drag it way beyond what they, they yeah. scale it out, right? <laughs> For and like, sure, dude. Unbelievable, and, and and that happens. I listen. This is obviously I'm making an, an arbi- picking an arbitrary number here, but I'm pretty sure like. A very high majority of conspiracy theories come from that, of seeing something that is a little, could be a little sinister, could be a perverse incentive, and then just blowing it completely out of proportion. Like, guys, we don't have the same Medicare system. The the same system does not exist in Spain. It doesn't exist in the UK. It doesn't exist in Italy. It doesn't exist in all these other places that are like – very obvious breakout spaces as well. So how do you account for those? But nobody wants to, to go through this, you know, the, the past the second layer of thinking. No yeah. one wants to have to account for all those factors. They want to see one variable and then come up with their fucking theory.
0: They don't even want to open the screen door. They just want one way. And, and anyway, look, at man, let, let's get into this shit real quick. So how do you think conspiracy theories and conspiracy content like Plandemic become popularized?
1: one, well, one, certainly what I just mentioned in terms of being able to identify a few mildly shady things and then just, just exploiting that, you know, at this point we're, we're 70, 80 years into video content. We're about 15 years into digital, uh, you know, a lot of digital video content. These people are not dumb. People have been studying this. They know what moves mountains. They know what gets people, people's emotions charged. Okay. They know how to edit video. They know how to put music to stuff. Right. So, if you have a population that's, so, uh, that's kind of confused in the first place about what's true and what's not true because they, they have information coming from so many different places, um, you can convince a lot of people just by speaking with a lot of assurance and some tricky and some cute editing techniques. And from once again, when people are unsure of what the truth is and, and, and how things are supposed to operate, they're more susceptible to out and left field type of theories about it. And I think that's really getting played on by a lot of people these days.
0: Okay, so why do people fall for that? I mean, give me the obvious reasons.
1: They have a tough, people are having a tough time making sense of the world, right? Particularly around COVID, right? Um, It's a mass traumatic event, right? This was, you know, people's lives were just interrupted from all these things. They built up all these distractions, all these day-to-day distractions, and they're just like, what's supposed to occupy my mental space right now, Right? So once once you have those distractions taken away and they start to to look around and and think about a little, they don't start thinking critically, but they kind of realized, realized they should think more critically because they don't have all these things occupying their brain space. At that point, they're just more fucking susceptible, man. They're looking for an explanation and the things that people have looked to for explanations for a long time whether it be the government, whether it be their family, whether it be some religious institutions, a lot of those have been fraying the last particularly, you know, we're 20 years now into this, this century, uh, generally the century. And in particular, the last 10 years of the internet and social media really ramped up. And so the more, the less answers someone's got, the more they're looking for answers and people trying to give them easy ones are, are always going to have a leg up.
0: Yeah. So, let me ask you a question. Did you actually watch that, that video, Plandemic? I mean, I got through like almost 22 minutes of it. I almost got to, I, I breezed through a little bit here and there, did you watch the whole thing?
1: I got about 10 minutes. I, I admittedly, <laughs> I couldn't really get that. It
0: was just... I was like, bro, man, come on, dog. Yeah, and no, and,
1: and listen, confirmation bias is one of, if I've never done heroin, but I can't imagine confirmation bias more powerful than that okay no for sure people are just drawn to look for you know all the pieces of evidence that support what they hope is true and the inertia of trying to get them to step off that i mean it is just it's thick
0: no nah, for sure so this is where I, I'm, I'm asking you for some advice from my listeners what is your advice to entrepreneurs looking to start something up during this covid crash you know, entrepreneur,
1: hey, if you've got the stomach for it, this is a really strong, this is a good time. I mean, it just is because once, a, once institutions, companies and habits are broken down, that creates a lot of space for new stuff to pop up. I mean, it's no coincidence that you look back on so many of the big digital companies. And they were started, you know, 2008 to 2011, 12. And you know, you you got to follow the momentum. You look at where you look at where behavior is shifting. You look at what's getting attention, and and you just kind of follow the attention and attack it aggressively. I kind of think is is you know, I, I know that this that's kind of vague. It's not you know about the the blocking and tackling, but you know, you look at you try you try to figure out, okay. What what shifts are being accelerated right now? Like, uh, this is a weird thing going on with PPE, for instance, that you know seems to still be going on. Where every just so many people who are out there who are hustlers, like, all right, I got to get into PPE deals, and uh, it, it, and that that made a lot of sense. We'll see how sustainable that is. But think about something like you know the uh, like teleconferencing and work from home. Like it's clear that that's something that's going to be accelerated, oh, even if it's not going to be as prevalent as people think.
0: Yeah. I read something about Zoom. Zoom did billions or something. I forgot what it is. Just in the last few months.
1: Oh, it, it, Zoom, uh, the, some of the, the earnings call from Zoom, like their are VCs and, and tech guys that I follow on Twitter. I've never seen them react the way that they did to Zoom's earnings call last week. It's insane. Like the amount of free cash flow that they're generating is like psychotic. So, but here's an interesting way to look at that is someone said something very interesting is that Zoom is just the compact uh, and prodigy era of teleconferencing. Like, this is just stage one. This is just the early stages. So as this evolves, they're going to have to keep on enhancing that experience. And that that could be, you know, in terms of the tech directly, in terms of, I mean, I don't know, I think there's going to have to be more uh, like an official delivery service, specifically delivering for corporations uh, to their employees who who are at home right? Because what, you want to just, everyone's just going to rely on Postmates and DoorDash and who the hell knows how long those are going to be around. Like, just as a for instance, right? So, don't think that just because Zoom is out there that the the story's already been told on teleconferencing and, you know, and, and there's no more money to be made.
0: No, of course, dude. Okay, so look, man, I always tell people, look, dude, just because something is successful don't mean that there can't be a part two or another company similar to it, because if that was the case, then Burger King and Carl's Jr. and Jack in the Box, these other fucking billion-dollar companies would never exist, they would be like, ah, oh, fuck it. You know, it's like, oh, McDonald's is successful.
1: Oh, bro, well, look, look at, at what Zoom did, right? If there's that much market, then someone's got enough, there's enough market share to eat up. You trim a little bit, you trim 5, 10, 15% off that. I mean, good God. And yeah, we'll no, just get going. For,
0: for real, for real. What is force majeure, right? And why is it such a key legal business issue in uh, regards to COVID?
1: Yeah. Okay. So force majeure. And this is one that's been kicked around. I mean, you know, more people have been discussing this than you would have ever imagined. I mean, it's technically, you know, a term for it that means act of God and the confines of contracts is that if a, an act of God or other events outside the reasonable control of either party in a contract occurs. So, I mean, in the context of, of COVID, um, a lot of it is, you know, bit retailers and businesses that are, are you know, uh, uh, tenants that can't use their office space or can't use their retail space. So I was like, listen, guys, an event beyond our control, you know, interceded, right? So we we can't use the space. You can't lease it to us. We can't utilize it. So a force force majeure has been enacted and we should be excused from performance. At least that's the argument being made by tenants. Uh, Landlords want to argue, you know, depending on the language in the the contract, certainly want to argue in the opposite direction. Or for instance, um, a sporting event. Let's say that, you know, the NBA already, you had, you know, sponsors who had already bought time, from, you know, NBA or sports broadcasts. I mean, they, they expected other than maybe one game gets canceled because of an earthquake or God knows what. Right. They weren't expecting 20, 25, 30 games to get canceled. So, OK, now that a, a force majeure, you know, that, now that an act of God, in this case, you know, COVID and the pandemic um, ha, has occurred, um, that's going to interfere in the you know, that's going to excuse may, may or may not excuse the performance of one party in the contract. Um, and so the thing is, it's interesting about about this pandemic Is that pandemic is not a term that I've seen, you know, 5000 of these clauses, right? You see Earth, you see earthquake, you see fire, you see casualty, you see war. You don't really often see pandemic, but it's the way that these, these clauses are phrased kind of it's in kind of a litany. So it's kind of like expected that it will also capture some concepts that haven't been expressly written in the clause. So there's a lot of room for interpretation of whether or not a pandemic applies to the clauses. So obviously, every one of these provisions is separate. You got to look at the specific language, but there's going to be a lot of battles over whether or not this definition of force majeure included pandemic. Um, so that's what's that's the, the generalities around that. And then one, you know, interesting tip that I think that that was something that just kind of came to me as I was you know, doing some contracts that are now starting under the, the regime of COVID is you want to make sure that you say in the contract that you know Whatever the conditions are as of the date of the contract don't cons- constitute a force majeure because think about it like this. Like I do a lot of brand deals, right? Um, a, brand, you know, a brand is asking this influencer to put together some content and then participate in a campaign in exchange for some cash. So if we enter into that contract and there's just a normal force majeure clause, let's say you know a week into it, the brand wants to back out. They'll just uh, throw the force majeure flag and say, hey, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And it's like, motherfucker, you knew we were in a pandemic when he, we entered into the contract. But the con- but the language might not accommodate
0: that. Okay, guys, you hear that? That is very good advice, right there. That's especially for the influencers that that follow me, other people that are trying to do that. That's good advice. How do you see things playing out with China? Man,
1: I mean, I would have said you know something completely different uh, a week or two ago. I mean, you know, for a minute or two, it, it really did seem like a lot of the United States, a lot of the Western countries, and a lot of a lot of uh, of the other industrial powers were. You know, we're allying against China said, listen, we can't let this one country consume that much of the world's manufacturing. And it it leads to us all being dependent on them economically. I mean, you had India, you had Japan, you know, funding some uh, uh, repatriation of some of their manufacturing to the homeland. Um, You had India. India smelled blood, right? India was like, okay, we have the manpower. We want this business. Hey, anyone who wants to, to step away from China, please come to India. And then some people, and once again, this is not just people who are foreigners who manufacture in India. I mean, I've literally talked with infrastructure experts from India, said, like, listen, we can soak up some of this business, but it's going to be a minute or two because we're just not as good. We don't have the logistics down as well, but we need to get there. Um, and then, you know, with what the upheaval that's been going on in the US, you know, the last couple of weeks it's kind of drawn, you know, the, the world's biggest consumer economy's attention away from that. And is the U S really going to be there to lead a charge of all these industrialized nations, um, to take their business away from China. Um, I still think that's going to happen. I think it's just, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to happen in the U S generally. But I mean, I think it's just too undeniable. It's too obvious that, that good sense just says we're not going to be, it, whether or not we continue to manufacture apparel And one uh, U.S. politician said anything up to plastics, anything up to plastics. Yeah, we prefer not to have done in China, but whatever. If it's done in China, we're not going to bother anyone. Pharmaceuticals, um, anything, you know, anything military grade, anything complicated, we need to bring that back home. So is that going to be an easy process? Is it going to be an obvious process? No, particularly given what's what's going on with us right now but i think some of that is going to you know we're going to redirect some of that and the relationship with china is going to recalibrate somewhat and we're going to have to see if you know if some of the other asian nations that are, are not very happy with china right now take a sterner tone with them if india is able to really fill that gap in manufacturing in manufacturing capability um and then also you know what's going on with uh uh, sorry, I always mis- mispronounce mispronounced, but Huawei in terms of 5G, you saw the British government that had the, the U.S. had been trying to get the Brits to not use Huawei for a bunch of 5G infrastructure. Um, and, it, you know, they had been failing at that for a while. The UK just said, listen, their products are better. We don't care that they might be a strategic rival. Um a few weeks ago, once again, we'll have to see after this upheaval what what transpires. The British government had dropped had dropped that position and, and was you know gravitating towards the U.S. on five G. Um, so, you know, that's that's a really tough one. I think it's the critical, if not the critical issue of of the coming period. One of them, and um, but it's one that's shifting rapidly because yeah, my perspective on that has shifted quite a bit. Over the course of the last two weeks, because uh, while a lot of these countries, the US included, had their eyes on China and how they were gonna recalibrate that relationship, we've obviously gravitated towards other, other priorities right now.
0: I mean, look, man, off uh, firsthand, I used to own a factory in China, in mainland China, not fucking Beijing, not Shanghai, like for real, for real. And I've discussed it, not gonna get into that. Um, they're far more superior as far as the, look at labor, imagine. And let me just give you perspective I'm a jeweler. Okay. A very good diamond setter. And when I say very good, I want to say at least a S-Class Benz level. So at an S-Class Benz level, a diamond setter in downtown Los Angeles could get somewhere between five and six bucks to set a stone. Now remember, some pieces could have a thousand p- diamonds in it, could have 300, you know, 80 diamonds. But what I'm saying is I'm making hip hop pieces. You know, they have a lot of diamonds in them. It could be a stone, it could be a sapphire, whatever it is. These guys, a very good diamond setter in Los Angeles would get about five, six bucks a stone, okay? In the South, they might get somewhere between two to three, $4, okay? In New York City, it's upwards of nine, 10, $11, okay? In the UK and like in Switzerland, it's up to like $15 a stone, do you know? In Hong Kong, if you or in China even, if you find the right place, there are places that are giving you that S-class level setting and they're doing it for fucking 25 cents a fucking stone. They're doing legitimate New York, L.A. You know, they're not doing, uh, they're not doing uh, Cartier level, but they're doing legitimate S-class, Benz level work for 25 cents a fucking stone. So with that said, and they're doing it ridiculously. Now, on another level, I own a cannabis pen company. In January... Before anyone knew, well, people knew about the pandemic because, well, a couple of things were going on. Chinese New Year was happening, so we knew we were going to shut down. It happens with everyone that's in the garment industry, whatever. We use a pen technology called C-Cell. C-Cell technology is, is the, it's like the Apple technology for, for cannabis pens, vape pens, disposables especially. So, you know, um, we ordered a shit ton, you know, close to a million pens, and we expected I will be good. You know, come March, April, we're running low on pens. So we order the pens, everything shut down in China, there's a 70 day quarantine, you can't do nothing, boom. So finally, our pens are ready to go, the factory owners are gangsters, they go and ship the shit out. Man, that shit's set in customs for almost two months, do you know what I mean, with all the shit that's going on, and like, yo man, you can't get infected, the shit's been in a fucking boat, on a slow boat, for like seven days, by the time it got to us, ain't nobody, you know what I mean, there's no fucking virus on the fucking pens, give us our pens. I just got the shits like three days ago. But I'm just letting you know, it's just, it's just crazy just the way we, we tried. There's only Taiwan. I wish there was a place in America that could create that pen and do it at the same rate and for the same price and everything. It's just fucked up. It is what it is. But anyways, um, my last question for you is, do you believe, in your just your own personal opinion, do you think a second round of coronavirus is going to hit and it's going to fuck us up?
1: Uh, I feel analogy I would make is almost like the kind of wars that we've been in, the U.S. has been in the last this, this century, In that we don't win them and we don't lose them, right? In that we, we haven't crushed the coronavirus. Now, like, listen, like, you're looking right now, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, a couple of the territories there, you're seeing some rise. You're not seeing a crazy rise, but you're seeing some rise. And I think some of that obviously has to do with, you know, the fact that it's seasonal, Right. And, you know, just like this fucking flu season, it looks like there's COVID season. it's going to be more prevalent sometimes than others. So I think you're going to see some it's going to stay there. I don't think it's going to be this massive spike in the way that we saw New York, you know, obviously New York and New Jersey in in March and April or, you know, New Orleans or Detroit or some of those hot spots. I think it's going to kind of for better, for worse, and hey, everyone can have their own uh, opinion and ov- uh, own viewpoint on this, but it's going to be one of these these slow burns, like an Afghanistan war that you know everyone kind of forgets about, but it's kind of in the back of your mind. But then you turn around and oh shit, we've been there for seventeen years, and it's just been this perpetual condition. Uh, I'm not saying that's it's going to be perpetual for years, but I think that you're going to see a small rock. It's the numbers; they just have to go up, right? Because you're quadrupling, quintupling, however many times over the interaction amongst people and how many people are near each other. Right. So I think, you know, taking it from lockdown to those conditions, it's going to rise a bit.
0: Okay. Let me, let me, let me reiterate this a little bit. I'm sorry. Do you think that we are going to go back into a quarantine again? Maybe, you know, come November.
1: It's probably, that question is probably above my pay grade, uh, but (laughs) yeah. um, Okay. Is is, is, is,
0: motherfucker is is Christmas canceled. Tell me. <laughs>
1: um I don't think I think it's going to be fuck man I want to stay I, I, one no I don't think we're going to go back into lockdown but two I, I don't think Christmas is going to be quite as cheery a time as it has been I think it's going to be a more chaotic time um I think we're we're going to exist in kind of a bit of a gray area between you know there's going to be an outbreak of covid it's not we're going to be a little more prepared because the medical system knows what to do we'll have the PPE we'll have the supplies but American society is not is not going to be operating. Is I mean, look at how look at what the fuck's going on. I mean, I, you know, uh, Bro, we just, we need, sorry, but we need institutions, we need hospitals to operate, right? We need people to to be to be trusting in a certain certain aspects of the system, and that doesn't seem to be happening right now. So we, on the one hand, I think we're gonna we're gonna be more prepared. So even if the actual virus outbreak does occur, we're gonna know how to handle it a little bit. But on the other hand, I mean, who, who the hell knows if, if hospitals are and and the institutions that are supposed to be enforcing public health and informing the people in that relationship between those institutions and the population, who knows what that's going to look like. So, I mean, I'm, I'm mildly pessimistic without being doomsday pessimistic.
0: Okay, but like, how do you feel about the hospitality, business, the nightclubs, the five-star dining, you know, going to fucking uh, a baldy, you know what I'm saying? Going, you know, going to eat at Mr. Chow's and do, like, how, how do you feel about that? Like,
1: well, me, me personally, like I'll admit it. And, you know, maybe I, I just feel like, listen, man, I mean, I feel like we've got to the point that this is now a risk that is a part, just like, just like in normal life, every day you go out there kind of subconsciously knowing there's some risks that some things may happen. And now this is one of them. Uh, because what's the alternative? What, the alternative is you're going to – we're all going to stay inside for God knows how, how long and that just can't – I think we all know that, that that's not going to happen. Um, so we're going to have to see which precautions – one, everyone has to form their own philosophy. Like it's just you, everyone's got got to, got to determine what that what they feel comfortable doing, um, and then we got to we got to start seeing which precautions make sense, right? Because like I told you, you know, I've been out there a little bit because I, I just had to get out of L.A. I went to Texas. and oh, yeah. Texas T- tell is people. more open.
0: T- hold on, tell people right now. You just went. You took. You went from LAX.
1: Yeah, I had some people in Austin. I was like, you know, something. I, I got to get out of here. So uh, LAX. Yeah, it's eerie. There's no. You know, there's not not much. Usually, you can anticipate. You're going to be in bumper to bumper once you get into the, the circle around LAX. It's clean. It's clear. There's not that many people there. Security is a lot easier. Um, you know, you've got some precautions with a lot of the staff wearing masks and you're in, expected to wear a mask. Um, and it's, but, you know, the travel experience was mostly normal. The one where you are required to what you're expected to wear a mask on the plane which I'll admit is a little uncomfortable and a little disorienting because uh, you already kind of stale recirculated air and you're breathing into the mask and you're supposed to be doing that just sitting there for a few hours. And, you know, I'm interested to see people dive deeper and some of the health experts really start to tell us like, listen, what what are the risks and rewards of wearing a mask sitting in a seat on a plane for more than let's call it two hours, right? Uh, I want to. I want to start learning about that. It felt a little weird, and also it felt a, li- a little strange and a little off kilter that if you if you need to drink your drink or eat your food, you don't have to wear the mask. And it's like, all right, well, what if I'm sitting here sipping my fucking coffee for an hour and fifteen minutes of the flight? I've pretty much violated the protocol. So yeah. that was strange.
0: No, I'm just saying. Look, it, bro, I-, I flew to New York City when everyone was catching it. And I knew I was the only person wearing a full mask and everything. Look, man, after about three hours, even after two, I was like, yo, bro, this is difficult to do. I bought the entire first, I bought the, it was, it was seat 2E and 2F. I bought the two first class seats in JetBlue and I said, fuck this. I'm buying this shit too bad, man. So I bought those two seats and I don't want anybody sitting next to me. And they're saying, oh, you know, don't worry about it. The air recirculates. It has the a HEPA filter and blah, blah. And I'm like, well, at least I'm in the first two rows. But if the motherfucker in front of me decided to sneeze you know, I could be fucked, but what I'm getting at is, I did read that there is some way of like, I, I don't know if it's CO2 that you lose, or I forgot what the exact term is, but you know, you lack oxygen if you're breathing that mask, you know, for fucking four hours, If let, let alone, what about you going to Asia, 16 hours, like what the fuck do you do if you're not in first, if you're sitting with the cattle fucking run and downstairs, and with everyone else, where there's a one row of five chairs, and then there's a row of three next to them, and three, a row three on the other side, it's like, Bro, you're in you're the middle of all of that shit. You know, like, that's like my biggest fear. Like, I just won't fucking fly then.
1: No, 100%. And we got a, a, the health and cross currents of, you know, benefits and risks of masks are really accentuated in that flight situation. Um, and so, you know, we'll have, we'll have to monitor that one. So then, I mean, I get to Texas and, you know, it's clearly more active than California. There's more people out. The restaurants feel open, but not full. But it still felt like this city's really not back to normal. This, I, I got in there on a Tuesday. I'm there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It it kind of felt like listen, we're you know, I went to a private gym. They had their precautions there, um, and and it felt like you're kind of fifty percent open. And even we we went out to out to some bars, but the bars were pretty pretty dead. They were mostly ghost towns.
0: Okay, so were there were there plastic plexiglasses at the tables? Can you tell me? Ah.
1: Not a ton. And then it's also this weird thing where they tell – this is not going to hold up because it's not going to make sense to people where they tell you you have to wear the mask going into the restaurant. But then as soon as they even bring you your fucking water, you can take it off. Like, I, all right. Like I, I see what you guys are trying to do. No, You're I am You're trying to yeah. enforce – like put, put some precautions into place. But that's not going to make sense to people. They're going to look at it and say, Why, what's the benefit of, of me doing this? If I'm just literally walking through the threshold of the restaurant and I'm supposed to wear this mask and then I take it off, and I don't know what the answer is. I, I've got to think this through and I've got to see how some things transpire. But that's just – people are going to look at it and it's not going to be logical to them because it's not. So I mean I think we're going to have to develop a consensus on that that is precautionary but that people can sink their teeth into that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I guess we just got to see, bro, because I saw the Las Vegas shit and I was like, bro, this is some fucked up shit. This is going to be because I'm not worried about the Las Vegas locals. I'm worried about all the people that are going from New York, Florida, fucking Atlanta, anywhere that had a hotspot, Ohio, all the hotspots like, man, let's go to Vegas. Fuck this. And that's what happened to Wuhan. Five million people left Wuhan. You know, what I'm saying they went and fucking got people infected in Italy, you know, so. They want to get out, and the, and the people are like, no, nah, I don't want to wear a mask, I'm fucking this, I'm anti-vaxxer, blah, blah, whatever. Anyways, man, my la- actual I'm sorry, it's, that was my last question, but my real last question is, have you been tested for COVID or for antibodies?
1: Um, I haven't been tested. Um, I have not, I, I had a lot of conversations early on with doctors, uh, just telling me about how they were still working out all the kinks and, and ironing everything out um, with the tests, and I was just saying that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get tested based on how I feel. If I believe I'm getting sick, even in, you know, I'm pretty tuned to my body, I'm going to go get tested right away and, you know, blessed to have access to testing. And then, then even beyond that, the, the period where people are trying to figure out what, what the results of a test mean and they might have been overestimating uh, uh, the safety that they had by, by showing some antibodies – and so it just felt, it felt like there wasn't an, I, I wasn't going to get enough clarity on the results of the test to feel that just getting tested just for the fuck of it, in, as opposed to in response to not feeling well, was going to make sense. I, I
0: respect it. I respect it. Um, look, man, I really appreciate it, man. The, the, every single person who's been on the show, every guest from, you know, major celebrity to, uh, you know, <laughs> attorneys now, whatever the fuck it may be, I always ask them. Is there a question you would like to ask me, and that's really the final question of the show?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, listen. The first thing that caught my—I eye, I, I told you, you know, when we first talked, it's like you know, you threw this tweet out. You're, you're just like, man, I'm just a normal guy who likes to hang out, smoke weed, do this and that. But my hustle's no fucking joke. So, you know, you give me, you give me a bowl of rice, I'll have a Chinese restaurant for you. <laughs> um, and I was like, that fuck, dude, this this seems good. So where does that where does that hustle come from? How do you and you know, okay, how about this? How do you maintain that hustle for that amount of time through so many different phases and that amount of energy with all these with so much so many balls in the air? I think that's really impressive. I'm
0: going to be honest with you, man. It's about to fall all apart very soon. If if uh, (laughs) I I just I just had a conversation with my producers. I know Miles and Jordan are going to listen to this and laugh. My producers that you know of the Behind the Baller Podcast. um, They're workaholics. They're younger. Um, I'm 47. You know, and shit. I'm 47 and a half. And I do realize that there's a lot on my plate. I have a top charting podcast. I have a top jewelry business, which is a overall actual business. I have a two different cannabis businesses and I have a lot of partnerships with sponsors. I have, I have an NFL endorsement. I have a major league baseball endorsement, you know, and I'm working with, um, you know, I have NBA 2K, so basketball with, you know, the video game today, Everything came on my shoulder, and I said, hey, man, look, I, it's, there has to be a point where I have to kind of maybe delegate, you know what I'm saying? I, I have to give somebody some responsibility, and there has to be this. And, and I found a couple of people to help me, but the issue at hand now is I have to stop a few things. I just have to. I'm not fucking, you know, Warren Buffett or anybody else. It's not the control thing it's the fact that I've been able to do this all myself. So for me to stop for three weeks or four weeks to teach somebody something, I don't know if I could do that because it slows down what's going on and everything's kind of on a, it's synchronized. You know, even through COVID, you know, even through the pandemic. So with that said, um, my wife has been, you know, in quarantine for four months and a half, you know, and my kids have been homeschooled the whole nine. You know, we need to take maybe a possible seven to 10 day legit break with no phone and no, Podcast and everything which you know it sucks but it's something for my family's health it's something for uh, my wife's stress for our marriage and everything so with that said it's funny you brought that up now I do have a couple very successful ventures that that are surprisingly happening that, that are just making insane money like with this baseball card stuff but I am going to have to slow down a few things and with that said my drive came from my mom my mom averaged from, I think, around 1980, uh, 1979, 1978, from 1978 to like 1992. I think my mom averaged between 90 to 110 hours a week. She never missed, I think she never did less than 90 hours a week work, manual labor. And that's, and the crazy part was, it wasn't like she was investing in tons of stocks or anything. She was manually sewing dresses and then Got more machines, then got more workers, then taught people. She literally taught people until she had a factory of 100 people, and she had it with no money. She started out in the garage. My parents came here with like you know $100, nothing. And my mom just worked really hard. I think that's where my hustle came from. That's where my energy came from. The only problem is I am exhausted by the end of the day. Um, When I do get my sleep, my kids are ready to seize the day. There's no like, they don't get, "Uh, I want to go back to sleep. That's (laughs) not my kids'. At 6 a.m., they're ready to go run a 10K marathon. You know what I mean? They don't give a fuck what's yeah. going on. What they don't want to do is go to school, you know? But, the, <laughs> but they're up and ready to, you know, to fuck shit up. And my daughter to everyone. So that being said, I pull a 3 a.m. night, you know, I'm going to get three hours. I might be able to get a nap when they're doing their work and everything else. But that's where it's starting to finally take a toll and give me a little bit of age in my face. So I just have to, I have to say no more often, and I've been saying no, there's a, there's a lot of power in saying no, but I'm saying no to jobs, I'm saying no to certain things, but I'm also playing chess, you know, there's something out there, but I made commitments, and and one thing about me that I love is that when I take on a job, even if it's like, yo, look, at I just took on a sanitation job, I'm gonna be cleaning fucking trash cans, and this, this, and this, but I'm gonna be the president of that shit, I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be the Michael Jordan, I'm gonna be the Kobe, I'm going to be the, the Warren Buffett of this game, and that's how I take every, endorsement partnership or anything I do but again it's very exhausting and now because it's been going really strong and someone I'm my age to remain relevant in this culture and in this pop you know world and influence and whatever I have to work 20 times harder than the 27 year old than the 21 year old than the 32 year old and every year I haven't just remained relevant I've actually even gotten bigger so I do want to retire in a few years. I do have enough saved I think, you know, pretty much to where I can still maintain the lifestyle and um that's just where I'm at. That's just me.
1: I hear you man. Well, oh, Ben, I, uh, it's been great, you know, listen, a lot of rough stuff going on, right, uh, recently, but it's been great to, you know, to connect with you recently and, you know, get to know you better and, and, you know, appreciate you having me on here and, and, you know, for you giving us some insight into how you operate because it's extremely impressive and, you know, look forward to, to finding ways to collaborate and work with you, you know, going forward for sure.
0: Yeah. And I'd like to say real quickly. Um, no disrespect to all the great guests because we've had what pro NFL NBA players we've had celebrities like George Lopez we've had some big people on here and uh, not to take anything away from them but it's very nice to have an intellectual person who is very articulate and (laughs) uses three four syllable words and has (coughs) a vast vocabulary I appreciate it Matt man thank you again we'll bring you back on soon yo Miles man can you throw me some of that lakey lake and we'll be right back with the outro Hold up, y'all? I hope you enjoyed that uh, that interview. Matt is a interesting dude. Um, he's smart though, really smart. Matt Balinski. You'll see it on the fucking on, on the episode notes. You could check out how to find him on social media. Smart dude. Um, you know what, man? The internet obviously is on fire still. A lot of emotions. A lot of people are talking shit and everything else. Um, Ice Cube has been tripping lately. I thought um his account got hacked, and I think it did. In fact, they had to because I think he deleted all the tweets. But there was some crazy shit. That was being said on Ice Cube's page, you know. And Ice Cube has been a very militant type dude, very outspoken, very, very intelligent dude. Ice Cube is a fucking phenomenal writer. I told you, if we are talking about people in their primes, if the greatest of all time, Cube has to be in the top five greatest MCs ever in history. If you're talking about from 1987, like 1988 to 1993, there's no motherfucking way. Even Jay and all the biggest dudes, they give it up. Like I said, when I, we were doing the song Cry Video shoot for, with Jay Z, I remember being in the trailer and, and I walk into Jay's trailer and Jay's listening to America's Most Wanted. You have to understand, when you listen to America's Most Wanted, that motherfucker is spitting so much shit. Real insane bars. Crazy. But he's been acting fucking nuts. So, and, um, I fuck with Cube, Um, I never had a great personal relationship with Cube, I idolized dude, Uh, I ended up working at priority, I was a fucking head executive. There was like a a weird, um, not a clause, but there was an unwritten rule that you don't speak to Ice Cube, only like four people in the office could And um, that right there, I ain't gonna lie to you. Because his son, O'Shea, is is like, you know, fucks with me. He's a fan of mine. I fuck with him. And uh, I don't say fan like he's a fan of my work, you know, of my jewelry work and everything. Cool dude. Seems very chill. But Cube's always been not really the most friendly person. And that's cool, you know, whatever. It's all good. I'm sure he'd be cool now because there's a lot of things I haven't bumped into him. But he definitely was, you know, and, and he went through a lot of shit. So I'm not defending him, whatever it is, what it is. Different world. But he's been sending crazy ass tweets lately uh russian conspiracy a lot of people are saying it's anti-semitic uh the jewish star with the black cuban side and crazy stuff i don't know man some crazy shit and i got obviously ben shapiro had to say something about it but ben shapiro ain't gonna do shit you know um, he, he's just gonna sit there and just take it uh one of the homies uh bodega boys <laughs> he's, he said he said ben shapiro bro you remind me of them dudes in the cuckold videos where the wife is getting smashed by some black dude and they just sit in the corner of the room and I just started laughing. I actually said some shit to him. He says, I don't like Twitter finger people. You know, if you want to get nice and get down, you know, do it. But don't talk like that if you're not really about that life, man. Because you don't understand. Like, don't expect the law to protect you. I've never, ever, 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 never, ever, 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 ever never, ever, not ever ever have I fucking called the police in my lifetime. And I never would. All right? Dead ass serious. But I want to read this note real quick on cancel culture. thought it was fucking brilliant. And uh, I have no idea who the fuck wrote it. doesn't say it. It just popped up on my timeline. And it says, and this is regards to cancel culture. If you are the kind of person who seeks to cancel others and you spend an entire day or set of days combing through someone's social media from their youth looking to find ammo? Don't you think your time could be better served elsewhere? We're in the midst of an incredible movement that's making Americans rethink how they operate. And we're asking them to learn, to grow, and to change. If we can't accept who someone is today in their most current iteration and accept their change and their apologies, then how are we supposed to get better? How are we to expect people to be better if we're constantly putting people who have failed down permanently? I think it's an incredibly shameful thing to seek credit and fame for being the canceler. I think it's shameful to sit excitedly on someone's Twitter with bated breath as they hurl tremendously offensive accusations at someone that they do not personally know, and share those baseless accusations with a wider network. This isn't a healthy way to go on living. We shouldn't be propping up negativity and seeking it out to feel better about ourselves. Maybe this is psych 101 bullshit, but maybe a reminder won't hurt because I think we're losing our way. If someone said or did something offensive a week ago, that's a different story. But still, shouldn't people be allowed to apologize and change? I think we're forgetting what a difference 5 or 10 years can make on our psyche and our progression. Now, look, I fucking agree to that times a billion. Motherfucker, do you know who I was 10 years ago? There's tweets about me getting my dick sucked, drinking beer in the shower like nine years ago. Just talking, I mean, not the fuck, fuck am I talking about? I've been married for 10, like 12, 13 years ago. But what I'm getting at is you want to find old shit of someone saying faggot or someone saying gook or someone saying the N-word or something. She's like, man, chill. The fuck is wrong with you, you know? And it's like, man... And these people, even the ones who are the strongest and toughest, like fucking, like even that dude, Bro Aze, that dumb motherfucker. Um, my boy sent me a picture of this link and the, the, this black chick who works for fucking, uh, um, what the fuck is the fucking um, company I did fucking uh, Uncut Gems, uh, A24 or whatever. And she's like, I uh, had pointed out and told him because he's one of my best friends. In the-. Bitch, shut the fuck up. Bitch, nobody give a fuck about you, hoe. Fuck out of here fucking goofy ass bitch because you fucking friends with this goofy ass ginger fucking Peter Billingsley motherfucker fuck him and fuck you give a fuck what color you are bitch I don't give a fuck what the fuck you're talking about that shit don't mean nothing you know how fucking stupid you sound if we both went on a platform together and you two we're on one side of the podium and I was on another podium and we did and we broke down what we've done for society and this ain't no contest about what i am just talking about what I've done. A lot of things that were not promoted by me or on my podcast or on my social media or nothing, people will be fucking shocked and then the consensus would be like, nah, listen, nobody can speak who hasn't spent at least, you know, 100 hours with Ben. Alright? Do you have any idea how fucking bad you'd look? You'd look like a fucking idiot. So anyways... Going on about that cancel culture shit is fucking stupid. Okay. You know what else to me is dumb though? Is um and we're done with that. I agree with that statement. I just wanted to read it. But uh, you know, the YouTube culture, I can't wait till that motherfucker has a real correction too. Cause it just needs to just flatten out the bullshit. Um, I try not to watch any car videos that have a person talking about it. I don't want to hear shit about what you gotta say, motherfucker. I don't even give a fuck if you're describing the car. I know pretty much everything I need to know I want to see a car video give me some text on the video I don't want to hear your motherfucking mouth alright that goes for Supercar Blondie who every time I watch a video and she pops up I want to kill myself I've met her a couple times She shows up to car events she is just what's wrong with car videos and car bloggers and this that whatever no offense to Alejandro who's a uh, Salamandrin whatever and near and there he's pretty cool and you know I've met him here and there but at the same time when I hear his voice and I hear the thing I'm just like no, bro man come on man and you know my family world star they post the videos but it's like someone needs to start a gofundme actually i'll pay for it super car blondie i forgot what the fuck your name is your name is stupid as fuck number one could you imagine my fucking name was fucking yellow jeweler like could you fucking imagine agent asian jeweler that was my fucking name man it's just come on man but her voice alone just makes me fucking want to vomit and um No GoFundMe page, fuck that. I will pay for the lip injections, for the collagen injections and the fillers inside your lips. You you need to get some motherfucking lips. You must drink a bottle of water and that shit falls through your fucking chin and your neck and everything. Fuck is up with you like. Uh, I'm cool. Um, Going on um, entertainment-wise, I have started watching Bosch again. That's where it's at. There ain't shit to watch. I literally started season three again and I finished season three. Bosch is so cool fucking good i cannot tell you this is now the third time i have watched every season all back to back you know what i'm saying and and, um now it's the third time watching season three i just finished season three i'm starting season four and it's fucking amazing i wish i spoke about this on the weekend wrap up don't know why i didn't again my brain i told you i am overloaded i have too much information in my head i need to fart it out and i need to fucking delete a ton of things in my mind and um but be like water a 30 for 30 espn documentary on bruce lee was very good um i have seen a lot of things on bruce lee i have watched all his movies every actual feature film that bruce lee has ever done i have seen at least 100 times minimum every single one i don't like i don't know what year but they changed the return of the dragon to the way of the dragon i don't know when that happened it's just fucking weird but they did i don't know what the fuck it was i don't know if it was a, a legal issue but it is very good Bruce Lee's philosophy in life Was fucking impeccable It was flawless It was literally perfect All right, You should watch it I don't want to say anything else People worship celebrities and they put them on a pedestal This was a different type person This dude was really about that life They had to slow down His kicks and everything Where in most karate, kung fu, martial art movies They speed up the shit No, Bruce Lee was a bad Motherfucker in life on camera, everything, it was fucking crazy, it, it was just fucking dope as fuck, um, on a sports level, obviously, waiting for this basketball situation, to just, it just sounds crazy as fuck, I uh, talked to my man, Jock Peterson, and uh, yesterday is June 10th, and um, they're supposed to be, you know, spring training, they're supposed to start, I mean, he said it was supposed to, you know, tentatively June 10th, but uh, he's chilling at home, on his fucking echelon bike. He's like, yeah, now we ain't doing shit. And he's trying to get some exercise, you know, because I know baseball and he wants to get this cracking and everyone wants baseball to start, but they thought it was going to start June 10th as far as practice so we can get a July 4th. But there's arguing going on. There's all kinds of shit. I'm not saying he said that. I'm saying that's what I'm hearing. But that is just what's going on. Um, real quick, before we finish this, I said uh, I got asked if I discipline my kids. Something that comes up pretty often Um Me and my wife, we were raised totally different. I mean, I'm talking complete polar opposites. She had a lot of uh, guidance. My brother was most of my guidance for me. Um, My mom worked very, very hard and I understand why she did, I truly do. With that said, my mom was very strict. When she was tired and she she was fed up, my mom would whoop my ass. And my mom would whip my ass, not play games. I see my mom whip other people's asses. She's gotten beat up before. I've seen her get mugged in front of me. It's been a lot of crazy shit that I've seen in my life. And uh, my wife grew up with extreme love, very over affectionate, very concerned, very pretty strict too. They didn't let Nicolette out of the house at like 15 or 16. She wasn't allowed to date, even though she had a boyfriend. I'm like, you know, Nick was always cute. I've seen pictures of her when she was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And my wife was a fucking, she's been, you know, beautiful all her life. And um, it's funny because, you know, they would do shit like, they told me went back when VCRs were around, I'm sure most of you people have no idea what the fuck a VCR is, but they would put like forks and knives inside the VCR and it would break it. And then they would just kind of like get in trouble. They didn't really get spanked. And I'm about to get into some shit right now that that's very deep. And uh, it took almost nine years for me to explain to my wife the actual in specific in detail how serious i was hit by my dad and why i don't fuck with him and my brother got beat worse than me which is crazy i still think because my brother wasn't around because he went to boarding school and he was always just focused on school and that's what my parents all they cared about was school Motherfuckers, they were ready to go broke as long as people did well in school. And that was just what how Asian families were. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I have to be honest with you. Back in my day, I grew up around a lot of black people. I obviously had Asian family members, right? But it was real common for a Korean fucking dad to beat the shit out of a kid from like the 70s, 80s, and even to the 90s. And when I say beat, I'm talking about spank, hit, stick, belt, you name it. Like get your ass whooped. That shit don't exist these days. You know, you go to jail and all this other stuff. And I wish that was what it was when I was a kid. But I'm talking about my dad. You know, when I was you know young, from age six to age fifteen. All right, for that nine year span, my dad is like five ten, two hundred, but like a solid. This dude was my dad is is a husky guy, right? I'm taller than my dad. You know, he's he's a husky dude. He would close hand fist punch me in the head in the mouth in the back of my neck in my hands my arms my legs and I'm talking about he should be able to knock out a grown ass man with how hard he hit me and he would get running starts to do that with I'm talking a hundred percent of every bit of strength that he had and mind you I was a bad kid I get it did I deserve to get it like that no fuck no. And you know, let's say for instance I'd be in the bathroom, I'd have to sit on my knees for like 30 minutes and you could be, I don't give a fuck how old you are, how resilient you are. 30 minutes in a closed room um, with the lights off. One, you're scared. Two, you don't know what the fuck's gonna want it. And then three, you can't move because your body is like so like, you know what I mean? Your, your, your legs are sore and, you're, and you, you sit there. Then you come, the door opens up after 30 minutes and then my daddy the slapped the fuck out of me or literally, like I said, a hundred percent of all his strength going to a punch and then repeat. And it was like, you know, I got beat with belts. And I remember one time I got hit with the belt so many times I had lacerations all on my back and everything. So I had to like, you know, they had to put fucking um, Vaseline on me. They had to put ice cubes on me, you name it, it, everything. Cause I couldn't go. It was impossible. And I had to miss a dare to a school because I was beaten so bad. I literally had like welts. Lacerations, the whole nine, and this was just a common thing that it happened from age like, I want to say like age five to like age thirteen or fourteen, and like now I'm kind of like, yo man, okay, you you know you beat the shit out of me, put it out, whatever, and then um you know I got kicked out of a lot of schools. I had mentioned that before. I got kicked out of you know fucking nine schools when I was in kindergarten. I got kicked out of a bunch of schools, but I'm talking about from sixth grade to high school. I was kicked out of so many schools. You know I got in trouble all the time. I think it was from my upbringing you know, and there's a lot of fucking mental issues when I think about it, and um, my biological father, he has um dementia, he has a little bit of Alzheimer's, he's he's just out of it, and uh trying to talk to him is, is difficult, and my brother and I, we, we and this is some very personal shit that I'm getting into, you know, we get into it, and uh, my brother's like, yo, man, you know, this is just, it's like being mad at a dog, and I'm like, hey, David, you know what, man, that's what you do, fuck him like real talk man it was just so many of my glory years of high school that should have been great fucking years for me they sucked you know the only thing i did have was sports and thank god for that i I got into school because of that but you know he felt like that was the best thing for me i don't think this is the crazy part i don't think my dad didn't love me i think my dad loved me the most which is the craziest part about all this shit but that was just how korean people dealt with this shit and i think about it like my kids are so spoiled and whatever, and I kiss them 100 times a day. I tell them, there's no affection in a Korean household. That's just, That's I think it's, you know, with, with most Asians who are listening to this, if you're over 30, I think you understand that. But I'm talking about, again, if I hit London as hard as I could, I would 100% kill him. Like, he was going, like, it was just crazy. Closed fist, open hand, you name it. And I'm talking, like, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, and uh, he beat my mom's ass as well and everything. It was just too much, man. I think about it now. I was like, nah, man, it's too much. I'm not the bigger guy. Um, you know, he's real old. He's in his mid to late 80s now. You know, I'm, I'm sure uh, his last days are probably, you know, coming up and certain things. And and I've even to the point where, you know, yeah, uh, I'm not 100%. I'm going go to the funeral. But, you know, yeah, we'll see. And I'm not really speaking to my father. And my brother's upset about it. My sister understands, you know. And it's just like, man, it's just too much. Nah, fuck that. It's just too much, man. It was just a really shitty job of raising me. And uh, I'm not trying to punish anybody. I'm just like, man, it's just too much pain. So my wife thinks I need to go see a therapist and get the rest out of it. And that's why she thinks I'm the way I am and how I'm crazy and everything else. And I get into a lot of fights. And, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, when's the last time you got in a fight? And I'm like, bro, I get into a physical fist fight at least once a year. Once a year, someone, I always let someone hit me first. That is the first thing. I let them touch me. And then either they get fucked up I hit him with a stick or some other shit and I always end up getting sued. It's crazy. And now people will be like, all right, well, let's just do this podcast and we'll rewind and be like, oh, Ben has anger issues. You know, I probably do. That doesn't mean that you can beat this fucking case because I got a great attorney. And, and and again, I will do everything in my power to make sure that I don't antagonize you. I don't start nothing, anything. You have to, to fuck with me. And then after that, bro, it's, it's game over. And that's why I've always been smart about it and and I've won all my cases. But uh, do I think it's an issue? I do. Has it uh, given me, you know, these rages and things? Yeah, but I definitely have been a different person ever since my kid's were born and, and I'm very loving and especially with, with Kaya, it's softened me up like crazy. Um, speaking of which, uh, before we sign off, man, listen, I've just been downsizing and I already feel like I have way too fucking much, um, but I'm just cleaning everything up. I'm trying to give, and I'm not trying to be on no Elon Musk have no possessions. I like having a few possessions. I'm just saying six, seven cars is just unnecessary, you know, even four is starting to get, you know, kind of crazy, and I um, got to five, praying I'm gonna be at three, because five, seven was crazy, and then my boy Jeff, by the way, my heart is with Jeff from, from Riff, I hope everything's going good with you, bro, he, had, uh, he, he got one of the whips, and then I got five, and I'm trying to get rid of these two downsizing, I just don't care the same way I used to, um, three is beyond enough, If ever I do buy a home in San Francisco, and obviously there's only one area I would live in, we would get down to two cars. But anyways, going on, man, that was some deep personal shit that I thought I'd just let you guys in on and maybe why I act the way I do. And uh, I don't know. You know, again, man, you got to sit into a room and, and drink some water, take some deep breaths and you know hold your breath for 15 seconds let it out slowly just get into some meditation mode i try to do this shit every single day i've been really trying to just free my mind again guys i can't explain to you how much i appreciate all of my listeners this is a very very deep episode that i did not plan on it being deep but uh that's all the time we got again i don't know how many times i gotta tell you guys please subscribe please tell your friends and let them know about behind the Baller. You know. Uh, gonna try to figure out episode 100 it's coming i'm gonna try to take some time off i might not we don't know yet i don't know yet i'm gonna figure it all out meanwhile we're gonna keep it pushing this is not your practice life i want you to understand that i want you to overstand that and know that i love you guys and i just thank you again for all the support all right y'all all right yo lakey lake man you already know homie take us home bro